Hello and welcome to Terrifying Robot Dog. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about how technology is changing the way we interact with the world. This week, book-centric waffle cast. <laughs> Please stay tuned. Terrifying Robot Dog is next. Only one of us finished the book. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, I'm like 95. I think I still have like two pages to read. But... Oh. Uh, but we absolutely, it honestly gets a little repetitive at the end, to tell you the truth. Oh, yeah. But it's great. It's fun. Uh, it's weirdly topical for a book that was written in like 40s and 50s. Uh, definitely, definitely good. And having, and for me, it was the first time. I think you mentioned that you had read it in the past or parts no, of it. No, I've, I've read several other of Asimov's works but oddly never i robot gotcha so. but the three laws of robotics seem to be in the news a lot lately so it was fun to to get a better context on what is behind them and sort of why the stories are so interesting and how that works into the stories it is really fun mm -hmm. it's like a it's, it's almost like a puzzle the book is almost like a puzzle and uh but life intervened yeah my my life this week has been chaos most okay, entirely self-induced chaos, <laughs> but chaos nonetheless. Um, Forty is too old to do an eight and a half hour movie marathon on a Tuesday. Um, <laughs> it's, also, it's also too old to consume consume that much pizza and cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and then I've been like building a flappy guy army in my office, and <sighs> like there's bits of these new worlds scattered everywhere and like i can't even like ignore it all and hide at my computer and just get away from the chaos because there's like half finished digital painting and reference photos and things like that in photoshop in the background and just like, like oh, everything is chaos right ah, now yes yeah, like too much too much creativity going on swarm of bees around your head yeah swatting at this and that it's all i mean it sounds like all fun stuff it's just it is like all fun oh. stuff it is all fun stuff. I have just somehow managed to do it all at once. Mm. And it's made it really hard to find the motivation to actually write code this week too. Yeah. And so I've been doing but I've been doing a fair bit of that this week as well for just you know, just for work stuff. So Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, do you mention the uh, is it, do you think the form Yeah, it'll still be up tomorrow when we release this, right? Like the Oh yeah. The yeah, yeah. mention you should mention the it'll, it'll it'll be up for for a very long time. I'm the sure. beta form. Yes, the beta form. Um, yes, thesenewworlds.com. I have a early print-and-play version of the game ready for ready for some testing, and I'm hoping to get some feedback from some people and send it out to um, send it out via email that people can can print it out and play the game and get some feedback and and on how it goes just from people that aren't that aren't us and that aren't friends of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like actual normal people. Yeah. Yeah. Actual. Yeah. Normal people. Yeah. <laughs> Objective strangers. And I love, I, I have to mention, cause I think it's so cool that when you say printed out, you also mean pieces like three, they're 3d. What are they? What are the, what's yeah, the yeah, SKP or something? There, there are STL files. STL. Can 3d printouts. You can print out some pieces on a 3d printer if you want to. It's, it's, Obviously not a requirement because that would severely limit my audience. But so I have 
paper slash cardboard equivalents of those tokens. But like there, if you have a 3D printer and want to 3D print these pieces, there's stuff that gets manipulated a lot during gameplay. It'll make life easier. Mm-hmm. And what were the what were the sort of jewel-like pieces that I saw in the photo? Those just random like pieces you had from another game. Oh yeah, those were just just little glass the little glass counters that we used for like playing Magic the Gathering and that sort of stuff. Mm. Well, I would I would like to I want you to know that I have mm-hmm. plenty of four siders and all sorts of I have the full multiple full Dungeons and Dragons set of dice available. So. Okay. Okay. I don't have to deal with any of that. So I'm like, oh. I, I feel sort of, sort of, uh, that was special. It's, I'm, the, I'm the real deal. Yeah. You're, you're prepared. You're, you're the real deal. Yeah. 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 Well, you will, you will either need them in four specific colors or you can do like I do right now because I don't have them in the right color and just roll them and set them on a card of that color to denote. Oh, that's a good idea. I do have multiple colors. I believe it is four. Well, I have at least three colors and one metal one. So, <laughs> Do I have like I have like forty sets of dice in my house, and and yet I'm somehow still missing a couple of the colors that I need. <laughs> it's weird, and they're not weird colors either. They're like green. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it's the yellow set I'm missing. Mm. But well, anyway, I had I had a bunch. I think Richard might have given some away. The monster. I know. Well, the kit when I got the I ordered a bag of I was I feel like it was like two dollars for a bag of twelve hundred. D and D dice. Yeah, there's this set on Am. There's just there's this bag on Amazon you can get. It's like fifteen dollars and you get fifteen complete sets. It's yeah, it's just like a crazy amount yeah. of dice, and they're all different colors and like, and they're they're fairly weighty. It's not like light light plastic, so they feel mm-hmm. like substantial to an extent, but not too heavy. And the kids, the ki- when I got them, the kids were just their eyes popped out of their head. They were like, "Oh, what are those? That is yeah. so cool." A candy. Yeah, right. And so we kind of we, we for we've kind of fallen out of it. But for a while, I was doing their uh, our nightly homeschool math sessions, were me rolling ten siders nice. and yeah. you know doing addition and, and you know or like uh, subtraction, multiplication, probability mm-hmm. fractions. You can do everything. With right, this. right, right. So that's fun. Uh, but we digress. I suppose. Can you hear the rain smashing against the windows oh, in the wow, background? Oh wow, that's here? rain. Yeah. yeah, it is really, yeah. really raining here. It is really rainy there. But yeah, go go to the website and fill out the form and join the mailing list if you want to. Yep, absolutely. I I I was first. <laughs> I don't know if I did was you, first. Did you fill out the form? I did. Um, I'm gonna have to find where Google shows me those results then. <laughs> they probably in a well. Normally, you hook it up to a spreadsheet in Google Docs. But yes, I did. So yeah, yeah let me know if you didn't get it. Yeah, I will. I've always had it. It's always just seems like when I've done it in the past, it's always just generated the spreadsheet for me. Once someone submits the form, could be. I think it does that. Yeah, you should be able to go to the form and click on the results. Anyway. Yeah, well, to sort of <laughs> we can debug that later. <laughs> debug that later. Yeah. <laughs> Um, was there any other housekeeping? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. Oh yeah, I found them. I found them, but no, I don't think there was any other housekeeping. Good, good. Um, okay. So, so let's talk about iRobot a little bit, if only in the abstract, but I've got a page pulled up here so that I can, I can actually, uh, correctly recite the, the, um, 
the three laws. And yeah, go, go for it, J Dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So here are the three laws of robotics, which I, I can add from this page that I'm reading here is a word that Asimov invented. The word robotics is a word oh, really? apparently that Asimov invented for the short story liar. Interesting. Yeah. That that's I mean somebody had to invent it. I just thought it would have been around before that. Yeah, it seems like um, a word that would always exist, but obviously yeah, it's it, not. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I guess we can we can say robotics as a as a synonym for artificial intelligence at this point. Yes, these with days. With regards to those rules. Which was true in the book. So okay, so mm-hmm. so here, uh, actually, before I read the laws, I want to give the context a little bit. So, uh, so Asimov in like the 40s and 50s wrote a bunch of robot centric stories that that existed like in the same universe and there were some characters that were in all of the stories uh there was there were this this pair of kind of uh, Abbott and Costello-ish testers field testers who would go out into these like uh real world application applications of robot technology where they were being used to you know, whatever, mine the surface of Saturn or something like that. And they they were like the people that would get sent out to make sure that it was going to work. And they had a, had one of those fun, like um, sort of partner relationships that you see in like cop films and stuff like that. They kind of like would goof on each other, but also, but it was based on like a good, you know, underlying tie. And there was Another person uh, who's a robo-psychologist, surely another word that he invented. Yeah, surely. Um, whose name was Susan Calvin, and she was very robot-like in her personality, very reserved and, de- uh, I don't, not demure, what's the word, uh, dour, and just a very serious person. And so he wrote all these shorts, and, and, the, and the Three Laws of Robotics showed up in all of the stories. So in the 50s, he put out a collection, which is iRobot, that is a collection of the short stories, but then he put together like a, he knit them together with a sort of frame story of a reporter interviewing Susan Calvin at the end of her career as she's retiring from U.S. Robotics and Mechanical mm-hmm. Men Inc. Uh, apparently, he was that not rolls off the tongue. Yeah, apparently he was not woke back in the fifties. Yeah, there were uh, there were no mechanical ladies. <laughs> Evidently, in the book, that is true. Uh, anyway, they, they, um, so this, it's this, it's sort of Susan Calvin telling stories to this reporter from her past and it's very clever. So the, the laws that come up are, there are three. The first one is the highest law is that a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human to come to harm. The second law is a robot must obey orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And the third one, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So built right into it, you can see the the hierarchy of which ones are the most important, Mm -hmm. you know, like first law is most Mm -hmm. important, second, next, most, and third, the least. And it comes and many of the stories, not all, but many of the stories uh, kind of revolve around a gray area between these three laws that seems so clear. They seem so clear. It seems they seem unassailable. Like, well, okay, that's obvious. 
but it depends on your definition of harm right exactly and what if through inaction two people will die versus 10 people dying versus 10 people Mm -hmm. and uh, all sorts of things like it is it's almost like exactly the situation with autonomous vehicles because those because in the book all the robots are physically manifest they're yeah. humanoid of some sort and they can kind of walk around and do stuff they can yeah, they're, di- more, they're more they're kind of androids yeah they can they can directly harm people with ease it's mm-hmm. like very clear it's not like you know like how could say a google assistant harm someone surely it could but it would have to be like in a digital way Right, it's not going to pick up a baseball bat and hit you with it. Yeah, it's not like super obvious in kind of a Cro-Magnon sense. It's more like uh, it would it would um, it would predict that you were about to approach an intersection that should have a red light, but then it was going to make it green for you, and then you'll get hit by a car. It's not as abstract. Yeah, it's more like I will crush your bones <laughs> directly, right, <laughs> with my pincers. So, wow, it is raining. Wow. Yeah, it is, <laughs> that's insane. We might have to skip karate tonight. Get blown away. Um, wow. Okay. Anyway, need a boat to get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So a lot of the, a lot of the stories revolve around the gray areas, and I think it's it's super informative because they're strong. Like the the idea of the laws is so good. It's like it's it's clear uh, ish, but then these gray areas pop out in the story and the narrative. Um, these different each story kind of revolves around this puzzle where the ro- a robot will or group of robots will appear to be disobeying the laws or appear to be mm-hmm. malfunctioning uh, there's a situation in one case where the robots are in a very they're in a scenario where the laws would prevent them from being useful at all so against all laws uh a secret government project basically allows a small set of 64 robots to be produced that where the, where the laws have been messed with and what would happen if the laws were messed with. Um, but it is, very, I mean, they are very much AI. They are very much like modern AI. They, they have these positronic brains, they're called, that require the existence of something like a robo-psychologist. Like this, mm-hmm. this lady, um, Susan Calvin investigates in, in many of the stories investigates the malfunctions by like a just talking to them yeah it's and like interviewing a, like them. a robot at a therapist it's exactly like that you just yeah. like interviewing them looking for clues mm-hmm. and it comes up many times that that people who don't uh, people other than susan calvin frankly almost everyone Uh, except for the two testers, Donovan and Powell and Susan Calvin, who are like very, very up close and personal with robots on a constant basis. Uh Everybody else basically over anthropomorphizes them and assigns human traits to them that are completely non-existent. Even though they might behave on the outside like a person, the traits that you assign to them and the motivations behind those traits are thoroughly non-existent. So having any kind of expectation around a robot behaving like a human in a particular situation is thoroughly misplaced. Like it is, but I could see people doing that. Oh, yeah. 
especially mean, if it was it's if just they a were natural good. thing to do. Yeah, yeah, it's just human nature to do that. I think if the if the the AI or the robot that you're interacting with behaves in such a way that makes you know that that it makes it appear as if it has those qualities, mm-hmm. it's, and it's just probably just human nature to see those qualities in other things. Yep. I mean, you see it immediately with uh, with technology now with kids or even mm-hmm. adults. Say, you know, yeah, call, or or how many times do I talk for my cat? You know, <laughs> <laughs> sure, of course. Um, in a tech space, I mean, do you not refer to she who must not be named as her? Uh, yeah, <laughs> of course we do around the house. Yeah, I mean, be- con- you don't she never has say a female voice. Yeah. yeah, you never say it. Never, never, ever. It would be rude, <laughs> right? I mean, like the kids, the kids say thank you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I say thank you. Right. Just to kind of yeah. like, you know, it's, it's, you know, just utterly it makes the interaction more comfortable. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do it mostly because I'd like to hear the kids hear politeness at all times. Yeah. I'm kind of a, kind of a, a stickler about that. But, um, mm-hmm. but regardless the the is very easy. Like you don't say she about Google assistant because to me, it's not the voice to me. It's the name. I think that's what it is. Oh, I think you're right. You're right. I mean, yeah. yeah, Google Google Assistant is a female voice, but I've never thought of it. It's always just been Google, Google Assistant. Assistant. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. It's definitely asexual. Yeah, I think it is the name. Yeah, which may be more woke to, to invoke that term twice. But <laughs> uh, but who knows? Regardless, the the um, you can see someone, you can see folks, Elon Musk, et cetera, Stephen Hawking, who are very scared about AI. Um. Having read a book like this, it really paints a picture of like, oh, wow, you know, like these, these, these three laws, especially in the story where, where, you know, in this particular, I think it's a mining colony, mm-hmm. um, they, they mess around with the laws a little bit because robots wouldn't, they, you couldn't use robots in this case. So it would have to be humans. Therefore, um, that's not good. So maybe there's some excuse. And, and she was like, the, the, robot psychologist was like no you don't understand like like these machines would crush us in an instant through like uh like if you mess with that stuff we are dead right it quickly goes from a minor convenience in some specific use case to we are dead (laughs) to them manufacturing their own uh kids so to speak and just and just following their own rules to the logical conclusion with no morality whatsoever. There's no morality. Right, there's no it morality. it just doesn't exist. No, yeah. there's no such thing. Yeah, it's not that the robots are against us. They just don't care about us one way or the other. Yeah, it'd be like, you know, do you do you carefully avoid anthills when you're walking around? Like, there's no... no. Right, you just don't. Mm. So, uh, in, in fact, one of the stories... <laughs> is really really good. It's very topical from a fake news standpoint. So politically topical now, where the the uh, a ro- robot parts are sent to this outpost where they're constructed. You know they're sort of assembled into a robot, and then the uh, the two testers need to kind of like onboard them into what they're supposed to be doing and so on and so forth. They're not programming per se, but they're like, okay, here's what you're supposed to do. Go move this rock, right. these rocks from over here to over there. And 
uh, one of the robots is sort of a newer model and is more advanced for whatever reason. And they get into a, they get into a, um, they, they say to him something along the lines of, uh, he, he asked them a question and they're like, well, we built you. Like I built you last week. And the robot's like, wait a minute, what? You know, like all of a sudden become right. this particular one. Normally this doesn't, wouldn't in the story, normally this doesn't happen, but in, this was the first robot is more advanced technology, a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit better brain, so to speak. And when introduced to the concept of existence, which previously didn't exist with any robot, they never thought about the fact that they exist. So like all of a sudden, that like, like <laughs> they have the, he has this existential crisis kind of thing, <laughs> where he follows this um, demonstrably false line of reasoning that they cannot disabuse him of or her. I think it's a him. So uh, he has a male name anyway. So that they, he basically is like, wait a second, what? And they're like, yeah, we put you together like a week ago. What are you talking about? (laughs) And he's, and, and I'll just keep saying he, the robot is like, that's impossible. And they're like, why is it impossible? We did, we know it's true. And, and he was like, but you are clearly inferior beings. How could inferior beings make a superior being? It's impossible. (laughs) And like, well, what do you mean superior? And he runs down a list of things that are clearly superior. And they're like, well, okay, you kind of have us there, but you know, the fundamental notion that a, a, you know, you, and they start to get into like, you're a tool that we created. You're not a mm-hmm. person. And then it gets, and then he starts to, he, he like goes away quietly and goes to his room to think about it and comes back <laughs> yeah. and is like, like he starts, he, he basically reasoning from first principles that a robot would have, comes up with a completely different picture of reality than what a human has typically. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're out on this space station in the middle of nowhere. And what they're supposed to be doing is like gathering energy from the star that they're closest to and directing it tight beam back to earth to power things. And which is super like, wow, that was, there's somebody who's thinking about that in the fifties. So, okay. So somebody, so the, the plan is that, and the robots are there to, decrease any possibility of human error because if there is human error you're basically strip mining the earth with a laser beam like right. uh, like that has the width of like new york city so you want it to make sure that it's pointing at the receiving station and not like manhattan and they get into this thing where the robots like like that doesn't exist earth doesn't exist and they're like, well, look out the window. There's a window right here. Like, what do you see when you look out the window? And he's like, I see exactly what it looks like, which is that there's a, uh, you know, I think he said something like a, a black piece of fabric with holes poked in it and lit from behind. And they're mm. like, no, if you change perspective, you can see that some things are farther away and some things. are. And he just point by point makes a perfectly credible argument against reality. And that it's all an illusion and that the only reality that exists is inside this space station and, and that the uh, humans are constructs of the creator, that Earth doesn't exist, they didn't come from Earth, um, the robot doesn't care about this asteroid storm that's coming and it's, if they don't correct for it, it's going to basically laser beam the entire Earth into a puff of, you know, like Death Star of the Earth. Yeah. And 
and in, in putting yourself in the situation as this robot is basically um, with very high stakes of the worth be, earth being destroyed. But, you know, to get, to get back to like the amorality of it, like they have no context for morality. There is no good or bad. There are just the rules and you abide by the rules and that's, it, and that's, there's, that's it. Yeah. And so if you mess with the rules, all of a sudden you unleash a superior being an amoral superior being, which kind of feels like that translates back to the, the argument that you hear from like the Elon Musk camp, which I'm not yeah, even it, saying it I agree more, with or not, but it makes more sense in that context though. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it literally, it is, you're like, Ooh, in that situation, I would actually be terrified that the two guys are, you know, the, the two mm-hmm. Donovan Powell are sitting in this situation. It's like, it gets terrifying very quickly. And, I'll have to be sure and finish the book. It's yeah, there's some good stuff. It's some some really good stuff. And it's like I think the core thing is like the that the presumption of morality is mm-hmm. a very big one. <laughs> yeah, the presumption that that they're even that they're going to develop it or that they're going to have it. Um because on the one hand, you can you can kind of convince yourself that okay, if an intelligence knows this much stuff and can self learn, then how is it not going to develop morality? Yeah. But. But it, and and maybe it would. Maybe it would. But would but it, at the same time, if it's so much smarter than us, maybe it realizes that there's no point. That mm. that's just that's not a useful or good or. Uh, I guess productive thing to to have. Mm. Right. I don't know. It's yeah. Like, do you know? Do, does this ring a bell with you? The 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 sort of uh, apocalyptic gray goo theory of mm-hmm. artificial intelligence, where mm-hmm. where it's not that it's not Skynet. Like the story won't be that Skynet comes to take over the world and eliminate humans because they're inefficient or whatever. It'll be that some AI was told to send out thank you cards to to every, yeah. everybody, and it basically consumes all of Earth's natural resources to continue sending out these thank you postcards to the planet and like destroys the entire planet sending out thank you cards. Like right. like doing something innocuous and and on the surface nice, but in a way that is so divorced from the bigger picture. Yeah, that's like you say, like, like the law is that a robot cannot harm a human. It's like, okay, but what if the purpose of your robot is to sit there and make you donuts all day? You could argue that eating donuts all day does a lot of harm to a human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you then know. the robot's inaction is to not make the donuts. Okay, then you don't eat. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of stories in the book, I think more than one, where the, the robots basically have a mental breakdown because there's an unresolvable conflict between two of the laws in a particular mm-hmm. situation. And it's, it's fascinating. It's really good. And it's, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's like it's a bunch of short stories. Yeah. Uh, and they are all connected together. It's really, it's totally worth reading. It's unbelievable how well it, tra- I mean, I've been reading, I've been, on, I don't know if we talked about this before, but I've been on a tear reading like um, thrillers and stuff lately mm-hmm. for like to just kind of like it's a research project a research project and 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 you know i could list the names they're all like famous best-selling books from the 70s and 80s and and this book is actually better than most of them yeah <laughs> like <laughs> yes from a writing standpoint from a 
it's really good. I mean, he's, Asimov is well known for a reason. Uh, it's definitely worth reading. It's it's fun. It's still topical. I think uh, from a political and a technology standpoint, and it's a relatively quick read. Yeah, it is. I didn't get super far into it um, before before my life uh, descended into self inflicted chaos. But I was <laughs> I was enjoying it. I do want to go back and read it. I just kept telling myself every night this week, oh. Yeah, I'll listen to it tomorrow night and get caught up. And then I'm sitting here all day today going, okay, it's Wednesday. I need to, oh. It's Thursday. It's not Wednesday. <laughs> oh, that's fine. It's good. It's, it's, you've got that to look forward to. And I've yeah. been, I'm trying to be a little bit careful about spoiling anything because you haven't read it yet. So dear listener, uh, you, you can still check it out. No major spoilers. No major spoilers. No, I did not reveal whether or not the earth was nuked at the end, did I? Mm, no, you did not. <laughs> I'm assuming it wasn't because we're still here. So yes, that's a good and assumption. The book got published. But how do you know we're really here? We could just be an elaborate simula- simulation. Yes, just individuated consciousness trying to entertain itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Well, I don't know if is there more to talk about here. Do you think, or should we just like let people? That's that's check probably it out? a good. That's probably a good place to leave it. Awesome. It's, it's interesting that it stayed so relevant. It's impressive. I am very impressed by that. And to see all of the... Uh, you have to wonder how much of it is life-imitating art. Like, how much, Why is, is it relevant still? Because people who read it were like, oh, let's work on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like Star Trek communicators and uh, cyberspace from Snow Crash and Neuromancer and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. it's tough to just it's tough to separate but i guess yeah good good sci-fi is like that mm. yeah a, you know it's a lot of the classic sci-fi the themes really hold up well the technology that's described in them may be like laughable and have and feel incredibly dated and not aged well in that regard but a lot of the themes really do hold up right yeah brave new world comes to mind a lot of the technology mm-hmm. in that was just so cyber uh not cyber uh Cyberpunk? Is that, is that what I mean? Not really. I don't think it was, I don't really feel like it was cyberpunk. It was like, yeah, it's not the right word. What am I trying to say? But like a lot of it felt very, um, in, in Brave New World, I was always picturing like a series of tubes connected to like horns and like that you'd, you know, you stick yeah, on your face and, you know. Kind of steampunk, not really. Yeah, steampunk, steampunk. More, that more was the word I meant. More steampunk than cyberpunk, but not really. I meant, yeah. I meant steampunk, but it's still not quite that. Yeah. So I can't keep my punk straight. Yeah. It's so hard. <laughs> I'm sure there's a name for that particular brand of punk. It was it was a little bit like um a little bit off. A little bit like mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, flying car type stuff, but um but you're like you say, sticking to human themes, it seems human themes don't change that much millennia no, till millennia. Don't. No. And in fact, I read a I read a very good piece several years ago in Wired magazine about um, science fiction being like, like this is how we explore our humanities through science fiction. Hmm. I, it's I, like, I very much agree with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, product development. <laughs> yeah. Also, also I, I need more expanse novels. Please. Isn't that, I thought that was supposed to be coming up at like Christmas time. It was, but it got pushed, it got pushed back to March. Uh. But, you know, it's, at least it's not like waiting for the next Dresden Files. Yeah. I've given up at this point. Me too. 
but the uh yeah i mean th- that's a great example i've been reading all these like i've been reading a lot lately and mm-hmm. i think i said to you earlier like wow i didn't realize how spoiled i was because i had been picking really good books yeah or getting recommendations for really good books like between between like the harry potter books the expanse books the dresden files books the lemony snicket books are actually great i read those with the kids we recently read uh the lord of the rings so i'm, I'm kind of like operating at very high yeah you know, i'm like reading a very high quality of writing and then you go back and read like jaws or hunt for red october and it's like <laughs> right. seriously this was oh, a popular stop. book yeah yeah yeah, and if any if anyone out there is looking for more great classic sci-fi that explores these kind of things, um, the the Ender. Quartet, oh yeah, mm. not, yeah. Have you read Beyond Ender? No, nope, just the one. But oh gosh, so they, get, they get so much better. Mm. And and also uh, Spider Robinson's uh, Callahan's Cross Time Saloon. That is are great. Is there more than one? Yeah. Oh, I didn't I, know that. There is, but I think there is, but I think I sent you the omnibus that had like all the novels. Oh, in. I see. Yeah, I mean that that book. I remember exactly where I was when I read it. That book was so good. That that book was like therapy for me when yeah. I was in college. Yeah, great book. Say the title again. The Spider. Uh, uh, Spider Robinson. Yes. Callahan's Callahan's Cross Callahan's. Time <laughs> Yeah, I think the one. I think the one I. I think mine says Chronicles on it. Is that's what you just said? Yeah, it? the the Callahan Chronicles. That's yeah. that's the omnibus edition that has like the first three books in the series in it. I think there's a few. I think there's a few that came out after that, but those three are the best. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. Expanse. So all the ones we listed are just absolutely worth your time if you're into sci-fi. Man, I I started reading reading just while we're talking about it. I started reading some other Asimov recent really in the last year or so it was I'll have to put it in the show notes I can't remember but it was like a space opera type thing and mm-hmm. uh, I have to say it was it was well written but man was the pace slow compared to what I'm used to oh yeah really slow pace just like you know guy like you know like point of the story is um outpost is making a play for power and is going to try is trying to marshal forces to take over the universe or something and guy lands there dude lands there to like and it's just like five chapters later they're still like (laughs) going through this political machinations of of what's happening on the on the planet and it's just it was like I'm like, okay, I'm done here. I, I can't yeah. keep track of all the names of the characters. There's so many characters, and it's all this subtle political uh, stuff that could be. It, it wasn't even like there was no sci-fi. It was like a bunch of politics. Right. Like I, I hate. Like you read a book, and it's like they spend five pages describing what they ate for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, Brandon Sanderson, who is the author of The Reckoners and several other popular series, is a modern modern sci-fi author hmm. um has a new um sci-fi series out the first the first book is skyward and i read it not too long ago and it was quite good mm. it's it's not a hard sci-fi really it, it's more it's not it's not it's not hard sci-fi it's not super super tactical and that kind of thing some of the some of the technology is a little magical but it's a good series mm. it seems like it's going to be a good series the first book was good anyway that's cool 
Well, I've, I've got one for you while we're, while we're making recommendations. It's a book called mm-hmm. Elixir by Chris Beekler, who's actually a friend of mine who lives in Providence. Hmm. I've heard of it. I think I've heard of it, but I, I probably, might be thinking of the programming language. I could be, or I've tweeted about it quite a bit because it's really good. I mean, I, I say it with that tone because like, wow, I know someone who wrote a really good book, <laughs> but it's really good. It's like, uh, it's like, um, uh, it's not, I don't want to pigeonhole it too much, but it, it's like Blade Runner E. Okay. If if Decker had a partner and okay. um, and was an ex-military, so in the um, and it's not a they're not chasing rogue robots. They uh, there's a um, a drug e- epidemic, a new sort of manufactured drug epidemic, mm-hmm. and uh, it takes place post-apocalyptic not not total apocalypse you know like post-global warming you know like manhattan has is floating basically behind walls and it's really good i really liked it i really liked it Um, it. i'll have to check it out yeah it's like it's it's on amazon for like 2.99 for the ebook i mean like just go buy it it's it's really good cool absolutely worth the read um Cool. All right. Well, it's uh, if the if the rain will calm down, it's almost <laughs> time for me to take the kids to karate. So we should wrap up. Uh, yeah. Short episode, but hopefully some good reading recommendations. Yeah. So you can spend the time you saved listening to this episode by reading like the fifty books we just recommended. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We'll be talking about them all next week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So be prepared, dear listener. Uh, All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next time for Terrifying Robot Dog. Bye. Go sign up to play the game. Play the game. Play the game.